Hey everyone, before we get into this edition of There's a Lock On, just wanted to give a quick note regarding Journey Brown. We discussed Penn State football a little bit during this episode, but that was obviously before we knew of Journey Brown's medical condition that could cause him to miss a significant chunk of this season. So we just wanted to put that out there so everyone was aware that we had discussed this before and that we are hopeful that Journey Brown can return this season healthy, and if not, that he can make a full recovery going forward and continue to live a healthy Healthy lifestyle. So we wish the best for Journey Brown and hope you enjoy this episode of There's a Lot Going On. All they needed was a guy who could find <laughs> find ways to win. Excuse me. I can't even say it without my throat just falling apart over here. Go ahead, Tom. You can you can take over. Hello, everybody. Welcome into There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast recommended by nine out of ten dentists. David Arroyo, Tom Shively, as always. David, uh, how are we doing on this Monday evening? We're here recording. You know, same old, same old. A uh, little, little later record time for us, which could be problematic for me in the morning. But uh, I guess we'll we'll deal with that when we get there. Yeah, I'm under the like full time Monday through Friday shift, and I am one day in, and I do not enjoy it. So uh, I mean, you're it's an adult now for me, but exactly right. Like the fun's over. I mean, I do have weekends off, so maybe the fun's not over, but you get, you get what I'm saying. I mean, the fun's really been over since, like, March, so... Yeah, let's be honest. No one's been having fun since March, and if you have, you're lying, or you're inconsiderate. But or you work there. in the White House. Yikes. Okay. Uh, the White House, you could say defeated by coronavirus, probably. One team that has not been defeated by anything so far, the Pittsburgh Steelers, starting off our NFL coverage, uh, convincing win... Over the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland was 4-1, and one, kind of sneaky team. They had a blowout loss to the Ravens, but four straight wins. You kind of thought this was a statement for the Browns, a chance to make one, but they go in there. Baker Mayfield underwhelming, one touchdown, two interceptions. Pittsburgh was, was up by 17 in the first quarter and never really seemed like a competitive game, and it wasn't. So I think the dialect from here is... Is Pittsburgh the best team in the NFL? Because what they've done, I haven't really seen from any other team so far. So to me, they've been the most impressive out of anybody. I mean, I think it still remains to be seen solely because we have to see them play the Ravens. I mean, we we, we just saw what an Eagles defense, an Eagles offense who wasn't very good did to both of those defenses. So I, maybe both those defenses are fraudulent and I'm just wrong. But the, the Steelers... I think the big question mark going into the year was, do they have a quarterback? And Ben Roethlisberger looks fine. He he doesn't look great or anything like that. I think he looks good, which is all I think that team needed to be better than they were last year. Because, you know, Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges, those aren't NFL starting caliber quarterbacks. Ben Roethlisberger is a future Hall of Famer and still an NFL caliber starting quarterback. And as long as he stays healthy and you continue to get the contributions from that defense, that arguably, like we just mentioned, could be the best in the NFL right now. I think the Steelers are going to continue to improve, and they have so many weapons on offense. It's hard to take away one of their weapons because they have so many guys, whether it's Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been a bust in fantasy this year. They just have guys all over the yard to throw the ball to. I'm glad you mentioned Juju because he was the guy like two years ago, and it was... They got a really young, good guy. This this team's going to be good. This guy's the future of the franchise. And then Claypool comes along, and it's like, all right, this guy's pretty got a lot of potential. You know, before that, it was Antonio Brown. So I don't think they get enough credit for how quickly they can turn around and 
get these receivers up to where they need to be. And I don't think Big Ben necessarily gets enough credit as he should because even you just said, you know, one of the con- one of the concerns coming in was do they have a quarterback and he can't stay healthy all the time. So I think they've done a really good job. They just haven't put it all together to win a championship in a while. I think part of that is the problem that the Patriots were so at their prime and you've got other teams like the Chiefs and Ravens and Broncos coming in and having a few good spells and getting the Steelers where they're down. The Jaguars beat them one year kind of a fluky win. It just feels like it hasn't all come together. And I don't know if there's a glaring weakness on this team, I I guess is my point. Maybe there's some questions on the defense, but they've looked really good so far. But yeah, they got to play other teams. They're maybe the only defense, though, now we're kind of into that conversation, who I think could give the Chiefs trouble. And it's because of their linebackers. You know, they have these guys who can actually run with the the chief skill players and on top of that you have a guy who just really has a really high football iq in minka fitzpatrick who you have just roaming the back end there who can make huge game-changing plays on the ball kind of like he did against the browns yesterday you know they, they just have guys all over that team and to go back to the wide receiver thing for a minute i think the interesting thing with the the Steelers and drafting wide receivers. I was not high on Chase Claypool. And the moment the Steelers drafted him, I knew I had to just admit I was wrong. Because when the Steelers draft a wide receiver, you know he's going to be good. It, it just happens every single time. They get these guys who are considered, you know, middling, pretty good, but need a lot of work wide receivers. And it's like, nope, they're great day one. We have the best wide receiver coaches in football. I think I think I think that's a slight on Juju. I think Juju was a high prospect, but certainly Antonio Brown and Claypool and even James Washington to some extent I would put into that category. So I see where you're going there. On the other side, though, can can we real quick talk about the Browns? Because oh, absolutely. I, the Browns are good. The issue with the Browns, though, is the moment there's any sort of trouble and Baker Mayfield has to throw the ball more than say I, I don't know, like twenty five times a game, they're awful. And I just don't know if Baker Mayfield is what I even thought he was. I thought he was going to be a lot better than this because he was accurate. And since he's gotten in the league, outside of his rookie season, his accuracy has fallen through the floor. And I don't know what has happened to him. They clearly have a strategy to win, which is moving the pocket, getting him you know, on the move, trying to get the ball into the hands of their you know, 100 playmakers that they have, and try and have the defense win you games. And it's just currently not enough. And I, at some point, it's not the coach, it's not the general management, it's got to be the quarterback. And you got to think Steph- Kevin Stefanski has zero attachment to Baker Mayfield, considering he was just hired and he knows the Browns are very quick to move off of coaches. So I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to struggle this year, they move off of him, even for his backup in Case Keenum, because I really don't think you lose a lot going to Case Keenum versus Baker Mayfield. I saw an interesting comparison with uh, Baker's stats uh, through his first, how many games? This is what his third, fourth season now? Third season. Third season. Through with uh, Drew Brees and Brett Favre, and the numbers were actually pretty similar. But I I think you were kind of getting to this point that the Browns are built to win now. And Baker might be your guy in five years, but he hasn't fixed the happy feet yet. He hasn't fixed the accuracy like you mentioned. I, I just don't. Right, like they have the pieces. They have the pieces outside of him to win, and they are winning games. Like they're four and two. It's not like the wheels have fallen off. And four and two is a damn good start for the Cleveland Browns, all things considered. But 
when you got the Ravens and Steelers in your division, and you got some of those other top tier in the AFC, it, it's you kind of have to be thinking we might have to win 11 games to get to the playoffs this year. We might just have to do it. And that's, I don't know if the team is built to do that with Baker. I mean, the, the way I look at it with Baker, and this is kind of my last point on the Browns, they currently, this very moment, have the fourth best quarterback in their own division. And I don't see any way that's changing over the next 10 years. Even if the Steelers have to draft a guy in the next 10 years, I have more confidence they're going to find the right guy than I have in the Browns finding the right guy. And so, you know, right now, would you rather have Baker Bayfield or Joe Bur- Burrow? I'd rather have Joe Burrow by a country mile. And to me, that that's not a good place to be in because the Bengals are significantly worse. But the moment they get pieces around Joe Burrow, they're going to start winning and that's going to be a problem for the Browns. Bengals stuff lost to the Colts. Um, blown a 21-0 lead. But, but, but the pieces are there. I think you're right. They're onto something there. I think Higgins is a really good find for them. And they're going to be an interesting team over the next few years. Speaking of teams that have pieces, the Tampa Bay Bucks retooled in the offseason. Of course, they got Tom Brady, Fournette, Gronk, the, the laundry list. They had Evans and Godwin already. This was kind of a statement game. They beat the Green Bay Packers, who were previously undefeated, 38-10. to uh, Aaron Rodgers, they're up 10-0, does like his little pump celebration, and they had their jokes off. But this was domination by the Bucks, And they a team that, you know, the division is, the, the Saints maybe aren't as good as we thought. And the Panthers, you know, kind of exposed themselves a little bit with that loss to the Bears. So I, this is there for the taking to me. And the Bucks kind of cemented themselves as the top tier of the NFC with that win yesterday. Yeah, and I mean, when when you look at the Bucks, right, I think going into the year, the formula to win early on was going to be on their defense, and their defense has kind of been up and down. That was a statement game by the defense yesterday. They gave Aaron Rodgers all kinds of trouble. Todd Bowles called an absolutely magnificent game. He was sending a lot of pressures, doing a lot of stunts on the defensive line. It was, it was just, it was absolute mayhem for Aaron Rodgers. He didn't have any time to throw. And, you know, he had that one really bad throw that was picked off for a pick six. But his second throw to Devontae Adams, that was a catchable ball. And just good job by the Bucks to make a play. And that's the thing with the Bucks defense. They have playmakers all over the defense. And with Tom Brady being the age he is, I think that's kind of got to be the formula for them to win because you don't know how much longer his arm is really going to hold up before it just kind of falls apart like we've seen with Drew Brees. So I just I think they have a lot of talent on both sides of the football. And it's really just a question of is this the right group of guys together to win football games because this this offense has started to divulge into what it was in New England, which I think is really weird considering the, the weapons that they do have on offense. I, I think so much of the NFL is building around your quarterback, though, and if if there are weaknesses with Brady, I mean, you mentioned Breeze kind of having the noodle arm. Brady had that issue the last couple years anyway. I think the Cam Newton offense is, this might be a bad take with yesterday's game, but I think the Cam Newton offense is better than Brady's offense the last couple years. So I, I think when you have someone like Tom Brady, you don't you're not going to have him for that long, so maybe you're more willing to... Just kind of doctor up a scheme and and just kind of piece it together and go for a couple weeks than you would be, say, if you had a young guy you were trying to build around. But I think they're versatile enough to, to handle anything, and it, they're gonna be they're gonna be fun to watch. All right, conspiracy theorist Dave here. Uh, did Aaron Rodgers throw that game yesterday to prove he needs more weapons? 
I don't I don't I don't think Rogers would throw it against Brady. I don't know. I feel like that matters more to him. I'm just gonna start that conspiracy theory because to me they the offense was performing so well. It just seems so strange for them to kind of just completely fall apart like that. You know, people thought this would be a close game because of the way the Bucks just got embarrassed a week earlier to the Bears. And for them to to go out the Packers and give you that performance when they realistically don't have any... Like, you watch that team, right? I don't know many weaknesses on that team. And I just don't know what happened yesterday. They were not good, and it started with Aaron Rodgers. He just wasn't very good yesterday. The offensive line couldn't protect from him, and that was, you know, the offensive line had been their strength so far this year. And it makes makes you seem a little more right where, you know, I think you thought the Packers were a little more fraudulent than I did, and I liked the Packers. I liked their talent. I thought they were kind of good across the board. And that performance yesterday makes makes me look incredibly wrong because if that defense can give them trouble, I can only imagine what other defenses could do to them. And it just makes me feel like they had the same issue they had last year where they're just not physical enough to compete with the best teams. I never really bought them at 4-0. They're three of their wins over uh, teams that have one win right now. They beat the Vikings, the Lions, the Saints, and the Falcons. The Saints are the only team with more than one win there. And even the Saints aren't aren't what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. So I, I think, and this might be Steelers syndrome a little bit, is that they finally played a, a quality team and they got exposed. I, I think they're going to get away with it and still make the playoffs because you do get the Lions twice in that division. Uh, they have the AFC South, which means you got the Texans, Colts still in the schedule. They got the Eagles still in the schedule, nothing personal, but... I think it's winnable there for them to get to 10 games and make the playoffs, and they might win the division. It's probably going to be them or the Bears, so I don't have a ton of confidence in either one of those teams, but when you're looking at some of those other teams in the NFC, i.e. the Bucks, it, not a good indictment right there. Not a good sign for them. Hey, I mean, it's overreaction Monday. This is what we do after a, uh, a team has a bad loss on a Sunday. <laughs> Speaking of bad losses, a uh, team near and dear to my heart, Cam Newton back. Uh, probably wishes he didn't play in this game. The Patriots, 18-12 uh, to 12 loss to the Broncos. Defense didn't give up any touchdowns. It's not really on them. They gave up six field goals, a couple of bad turnovers by Cam. And the Patriots, you know, they had, they had the flashy win to start. They played really well in Seattle. And then, you know, they lose to Kansas City. You're like, okay, they didn't have Cam. It's the Chiefs. This team isn't as good as we thought. And and I think the 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 sparkle on Cam has kind of worn off a little bit and they he, they just weren't good yesterday. They couldn't complete a pass down the field. They couldn't convert a third down. They were, you know, letting the Broncos run all over them and it's just very anti-Patriots. Like it was a it was a surprising result to see them come out flat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's funny to look at the stats, right? Because Cam had a good day running the football. He averaged 7.8 yards a carry on 10 carries. So, you know, he, he had a good day in terms of, you know, keeping the offense a little more dynamic than it was last year. But you kind of saw when he went to go drop back and, you know, he had two interceptions. He just was not... His mechanics, which is something we had kind of complimented as having improved so much from what it was in Carolina, you saw a clear regression yesterday from where his mechanics were. And how much of that was not having coaching for, you know, a week and a half, I don't know. But if that is the Cam Newton 
Because that's the Cam Newton that was in Carolina. If this is... It, that's the question for the Patriots, I guess. Are we going to get this Cam Newton, the Cam Newton we saw earlier in the year, or somewhere in the middle? If you get something somewhere in the middle, I still think this is a 9-10 win football team. But if if you get anything closer to this Cam Newton, they don't stand a chance, in my opinion, against the Bills. I think the Bills would run them you know, up and down the, the AFC East. I just... I don't think they're good enough. And on top of that, it's so clear to me they don't have the weapons. Same problem that they had last year with Brady. You know, they don't have a clear deep threat. Demir Bird just isn't a good deep threat. Their best receiver is still James White. Nikhil Harry can't get separation and can't really make plays on the football. They, they just, they're not a very good football team at the skill positions. And to win games in the NFL, you need to be good at the skill positions. It's it's just the reality of the league in 2020. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if this is just an overreaction, but the Broncos aren't very good. And Broncos played bad yesterday, too, and still came out of there, came out of there at the win. Yeah, they they stayed the same on offense from last year, and they got worse on defense because of all the guys that opted out. So... Looking at this, like they have the NFC West this year, which is a tough division, and they still have they still have the Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers who they have next week. Is any, would anybody be shocked if they go zero and three there? Like I don't think I would be. What and, are the games again? You know, they still they still have the NFC West. So they still have the Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers. Yikes! I, I wouldn't be shocked if they lose to all those teams. They have the Ravens as well too. They got two games against the Bills. You know that's more than half your schedule right there. That if they go one and five, you know I don't think it would surprise anybody. So. They're they're in danger of missing the playoffs, and I think I think we'll learn a lot about them on Sunday when they play the 49ers. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see how b- much of Camp's performance was actually COVID, if he had any of it, what kind of effect that has on the body, because obviously it, it it um you know will affect people in different ways. He didn't seem like he was off at all, but I think there's always a chance with how unknown it still is that that could have had an effect, but. We'll see. We'll see. I think San Francisco, with how they played yesterday, is is going to be a good test for them. Still at home, so good chance to get back to five hundred. And with the seven teams, you're never out of playoff contention. Yeah, the COVID thing was interesting, just because we kind of saw that with the Russell Westbrook in the NBA bubble. He didn't really get his legs under him until they hit the playoffs, and you know that's when Russell Westbrook looked like Russell Westbrook again. But that's an interesting point. I'm I'm curious. I'm gonna have to watch that one and see if that might have been what it was. You even got like there was a guy on LSU that had like a heart problem and had to opt out. There's a Eduardo Rodriguez, a pitcher for the Red Sox, had it and he had like a heart problem that sidelined him for the whole year. So I mean, these are prime athletes, and they, you know, this is affecting them in, in ways that we're not really used to seeing, and it, it's something we're still learning a lot about. Uh, I did mention every team is in playoff contention except one, maybe the New York Jets, um, the only winless team left in football. They lose to the now 500. Miami Dolphins, a uh, the Jets just continue to be bad. They continue to stink it up. You're almost running out of adjectives for how lifeless they are. And uh, what's your take on the Jets? Like the, it's it's the same story over and over again to me. They they get high draft picks. They just can't develop anybody, and they're they're t- they're stuck in purgatory. All right, so I'll, I'll give you the good news and the bad news. The good news: they have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence if they continue to play this bad. The bad news is they have ruined every single high draft pick they've ever had, or that high draft pick has hated their team. Jamal Adams, hello, how's Seattle? 
Like I, I just as long as Adam Gase is your head football coach, you're not going to win games. Uh, Adam Gase is terrible, and I don't know why they are sticking by Adam Gase when the players hate him. It seems like his coordinators hate him with the comments this week from Greg Williams, and the, the fans hate him. So who in that building likes him? Ownership likes him, I I guess. Like Joe Douglas didn't hire him. Joe Douglas isn't attached to Adam Gase. I, I just don't understand holding on and trying so hard to salvage it with Adam Gase when all the evidence is there. When they're ruining Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold, here's a stat I saw today. When Sam Darnold doesn't play, the Jets are 0-9 and are averaging less than 10 points a game. That that at some point has to be on the coaching staff, not being able to A, coach up the talent they have, and B, management not being able to draft talent. Now, I'm not going to put it all at Joe Douglas's feet because he's only been there for about a year and a half, but th- this has been a failure up and down of what was supposed to be the best quarterback prospect in the draft a couple years ago. I'm glad you brought up the, the ruining quarterbacks because I, I think I think they are going to end up getting Trevor Lawrence, and he's one of those guys that almost feels unruinable. But when you don't give him any weapons, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if any. I don't know if the greatest quarterback prospect ever could could make the Jets good. And I think there's an argument that Lawrence maybe has been the best quarterback prospect, certainly in my lifetime, that I can remember. Because uh, even as a freshman, he was so polished. But I don't know, man. It's and Gase was a guy that they hated when they hired him. I don't remember anybody being like, "This is a good hire by the Jets," because he stunk in Miami. They had like the worst offense in the league for three years in a row. They probably won like I think they won like six games through a two-year span. The, the, the Dolphins were bad, and the Jets were like, "Oh, we've seen that guy across the sideline. Yeah, that's us." Like, how do you do that within the division? How do you do that? Uh, Ryan Tannehill with a team a that's top that bad in your own division. Ryan Tannehill is a top five quarterback since he left Adam Gase. Like, you can easily make that argument about Ryan Tannehill with how good he's playing this season, and. I, I kind of agree with you. Trevor Lawrence is kind of unruinable. If that's is that even a word? Unruinable. It is. It is now. It is now. Uh, but it, if like if Andrew Luck could make it work in Indianapolis with how bad they were the year before they drafted him, which I think is the comparable for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence can make it work, but the difference there is even the Colts like drafted well that year they got Andrew Luck and. The Jets have not even shown a propensity to draft well. Like their best draft pick last year, I'll give them credit. Makai Becton seems to be an actually good draft pick, but like Denzel Mims has been hurt and hasn't played this year. And I can't really name you the rest of their draft picks because they're either not performing or they're not good. And I don't, this Jets team is in dire straits and I just... Even if they get Trevor Lawrence, it's going to take so much more than Trevor Lawrence to be able to fix this. And you already know, whoever gets Sam Darnold after they trade him away, he's going to look so much better than he did under Adam Gase. So you can just see all the writing on the wall. You got any uh, You got any takers for Sam Darnold? I've kind of floated the Tampa Bay Bucks around once Brady hangs it up. I wouldn't uh, hate that pairing. Very interesting team. Yeah, I'll throw a team out there. What about the San Francisco 49ers? San Francisco not happy with Jimmy Garoppolo right now. What what could Sa- what could Sam Darnold be with Adam or with um, Kyle Shanahan as Kyle his Shanahan. play caller? Or the other team? Because I also think they'll be in the running for Matt Ryan because I think he's on the way out of Atlanta. What about Atlanta? Maybe Atlanta likes Sam Darnold enough to make a trade for him because it's not going to cost a first round pick to get him. 
Oh no, you probably, you could probably give the Jets a sixth round pick for Darnold. They'd be like, oh cool. Yeah, I I, I mean they'll take anything at this point. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, back to the Colts though. Like that wasn't that wasn't Luck's fault. Like they they not Luck, but that was they had Curtis Painter and like Peyton Manning got hurt. So I don't know if that's the right comparison. But I get what you're saying. Like they didn't they had talent. I think they had more talent than the Jets did. And they just kind of had a terrible backup quarterback when the Jets have what we think is a competent quarterback, and they're still bad. I like Sam Darnold. The, that's what I'm saying. He's a competent quarterback. Yeah, I think he's good. I just like I, I don't know. And any any quarterback whose head coach is Adam Gase is going to look worse than they actually are. Do you think Adam Gase would make Patrick Mahomes bad? I uh, I mean, so far the sample size would say yes. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. All right, that's enough about the Jets. Let's get back to talking about good teams. Uh, we have some other stuff to get to in the show, so I'm trying to make this segment quick. But a couple marquee games coming up this weekend. Two undefeated teams. We already touched Steelers. They're playing the Tennessee Titans, who escaped in OT with a win over the Texans. Before we get to that, I do want to talk. I don't know if you saw, the Texans had a play where they were up seven, and they went for two late in the fourth quarter. Did you see that play? Slash, what are yes, your thoughts I did. on it? Uh, so I did see the play and love it because if you're the Texans, right, that's a great job by your coach recognizing what your team is and isn't good at. You know your defense is terrible. So your confidence level of the Titans going down the field and scoring, which they did, by the way, is not very high. You, you think they're going to go down and score. So what do you do? You play for the win. Don't be a loser. Don't be a coward. Play for the win. That's what you do. My my take is, yeah, that is, like, if you convert that play, that is a win. Because they're not scoring twice with, what were there, 40 seconds left, maybe? It was like a minute and a half, something like that. Yeah, okay. With under two minutes. And if anytime you have a play to win the game, like, why would you not do it? I love it from them. Uh, it's a shame that it didn't work out because I think the decision was smart enough to deserve a win, but they didn't convert, and that's the way football is. But hey, they, they put the ball. Last week. They put the ball in their best player's hand and said, "Try and win us the game." And if not for the tip pass at the line, that the receiver Watson He's open, won it was yeah. open. He's open. Like that, I I like I like it. Texans kind of they're putting a good season together with uh, with all the. They're uh, also Jets are letting them off the hook for worst managed team in football. Say, but the aren't, aren't Texans, the Texans at one least, and five? They at least like separated themselves by actually getting rid of Bill O'Brien. Unlike oh, the Jets, who were like <laughs> Adam Gase. Anyway, Titans Steelers this week. Uh, so like I said, matchup of undefeated teams. Uh, you know, Steelers have their weapons on offense. The Titans have Derrick Henry and kind of the resurgence of Ryan Tannehill. You know, they're. This is an exciting game to me. That I I don't know who to pick to be honest with you. Okay, so if do you just want my pick right away? Because I'll, I'll give you my pick. I'm sure, pick as, then quick thought. As many nice things as I said about the Steelers, and I think the Steelers are really good. I actually think the Titans have the coaching advantage in this game, and so for that reason alone, I'm going to pick the Titans because they're so close. Otherwise. I think Derrick Henry has shown, doesn't matter how good your defense is, he's going to demolish you. And I personally really like the weapons that the Titans have on the outside. I think this is going to be the Steelers' first loss of the season. I, I think the Titans are rested now after you know basically having two weeks off, what feels like two weeks off because of COVID-related you know, shenanigans that they were, go- they were doing. 
And why are you looking at me like that? Just finish your thought. Finish your thought. Okay. I, I, ju- I just, I like the Titans. I, I think they would win this game. Um, it would be a close one, but I, I have more confidence right now in the Titans than I do the Steelers, but I think they're very even teams. I think, I think the rest is a little bit of a fraudulent argument because they were supposed to play the Steelers when the game got canceled, so the Steelers also have the same amount of rest that the Titans do. Fair enough. So I'm not sure if I'm buying that one, but um, th- there's something about, like, and I, and I don't want to sound like the people that say Jordan is better than LeBron and just, like, he has the it factor, but there's something about the Steelers that just, like, there's the swagger, there's the... They're clicking on offense, they... They've, they've kind of blown out everyone they've played recently. They, that's not true. They had a close game against the Texans, but they look really comfortable out there. And I, and I think the Titans feel like they've kind of had to claw and scratch for everyone, and the Steelers have just been cruising. And I don't really see that stopping with how smooth they're playing on offense right now. So I'm going to go Pittsburgh. Hey, what's what's the line on that game? I had Steelers one and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a hard betting game. I, I don't know. I think I'd, I'd still, I mean, I'm picking the Titans, so I would go Titans, but that's uh, interesting. All right, moving on. We got a matchup that you probably wouldn't have batted your eyes at at the beginning of the year, but uh, the Bears, now 5-1, and one, taking on the LA Rams. Tough loss to San Francisco last night, but they're still 4-2. and two. They're right there. Rams, 5.5-point favorites at home, and uh, they looked kind of flat. And it almost, last night almost raised, like, the is Jared Goff good question again because he was bad last night and I don't know how else to reason them losing that game other than a poor performance by Jared Goff. He was like 9 for 22 at one point. He I think was 2 for 10 early in the game. Just couldn't get it going and that let San Francisco build the lead and then 49ers with the lead. You know what they're going to do. They're going to pound it out and that's what they did. Hey, I, I'm not saying uh, that here comes Nick Foles, but... Uh... Here comes Nick Foles, baby. All they needed was a guy who could find <laughs> find ways to win. Excuse me. I can't even say it without my throat just falling apart over here. Go ahead, Tom. You can you can take over. I like I like I think I uh I like the Bears to cover at least. I might even pick them straight up. Plus five and a half. I, I will. You know what? Give me the Bears. Give me Nick Foles. I'm riding it. He uh has had success against Los Angeles teams in the past, so let's get it. Who's a more fraudulent quarterback, Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo? It's funny because they, like, those are the last two NFC winning quarterbacks, and I don't think either one of them is particularly good. And people make so many good arguments on this is a quarterback-driven league, but you've got the last two champions of the conference. Granted, neither one of them won the game that mattered, but I, I would I would rather have Goff just because I think he just has more natural talent than Jimmy G does. And I think if he gets in a slump, he's more able to work out of it than Jimmy is. And he's like a little less injury prone. I hate to use that as a crutch, but I trust golf a little bit more. Hey, smart man. Uh, for my pick real quick, last time I saw Nick Foles play Jared Goff, he outperformed him two years in a row in Los Angeles. I'll take the Bears. All right, uh, one more we're going to touch on. Where was it? Uh, we got the uh, the lone undefeated NFC team left. They're coming off the bye week. The Seattle Seahawks against a little bit of an upstart. They kind of had a hot start, fell apart, then beat the Jets, which is you know like basically a bye week. So they got back on their feet with a convincing win. The Arizona Cardinals 
next week. And it kind of feels like it's Seattle's division to lose right now. And we've seen, I don't know if they've played anybody in the division yet, though. I'm looking at their schedule. I don't think they have. So this is the first like interdivision test for Seattle. Uh, there's no line on that yet because the Cardinals are playing tonight. But um, early thoughts on that game, David. I So for me personally, I, I've i kind of been on this hill and I will be on this hill until they prove differently. The Seattle defense is the sole reason they're not good enough to win the Super Bowl. I don't think that defense can make enough plays to win games. And I think it's going to happen again. I don't think the Cardinals are good enough to beat them. But the Cardinals are a team who, you know, they they are good offensively. And what's the big weakness of the Seahawks? Well, it's their pass rush and their secondary. What do the Cardinals love to do? They love to throw the football. So I think it's going to be a huge day for DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. I just think right now, because of what he's working with, Russell Wilson is currently NFL MVP, and I think he's going to continue to widen that gap for why he should be the MVP with another win in a game where his defense just isn't good enough. I agree with you because this is one of those games that no one would be surprised if the Cardinals win because, again, you mentioned like the kind of offensive acumen they've had this year, and Kyler kind of seems to be getting his footing a little bit. This I'm looking at their schedule. This is interesting now. I'm going to read you their next five games and then the four games after that. So next five, they have Cardinals, 49ers, Bills, Rams, Cardinals. So you're going to learn a lot about them in the next five weeks. And then the four after that, they have Giants, Jets, Washington, and the Eagles. So they're going to get the nine wins at least is what you're saying. So they're looking at 9-0 with uh, this five-game stretch coming up. And I I think this is certainly the best division in the NFC. I, I think... You could throw the AFC North maybe in there, the conversation for best division in football, but the Browns clearly aren't what we thought they were. And I think you have four legitimate teams that could win a game in the playoffs in this division. And I, Seattle's the cream of the crop, and until they've shown me otherwise, I am, I'm seeing Seattle minus 3.5 on the ESPN app. So I'm going to use that as the spread. I like Arizona to cover there, but I'm going to pick Seattle to win. I think it's I a close one. Seattle wins. Yeah, I think I think Arizona should cover that game, but Se- Seattle's even with that deficiency. I, I, the Cardinals have the same deficiency, so I, I think given that, I, I would take the Seahawks. And on top of that, if it's a close game with four minutes left and Russell Wilson has the football, the Seahawks are going to win. There's no quarterback in football I'd rather have in a close game than Russell Wilson. All right. Uh... A little crystal ball here. I'm going to let you revise your uh, Super Bowl predictions. If you had to pick one right now, who would you go with? AFC, NFC team. Uh, my AFC pick was the Ravens. I'm not, I'm not really feeling that one anymore. Um, God, if I, had to, if I had to change it right now, I'd probably change it. You know what? I'll be bold. I would change it to the Titans. I think the Titans could beat the Chiefs. And I don't know. I'm feeling the Titans. I'm ready, I'm ready to ride the bandwagon. Uh, too bad... They're not circling the wagon like they used to because I would love to pick the Bills. But I'll take the Titans in the AFC and in the NFC. I think it's hard to argue so far with what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been able to do. I would probably take the Bucs. I I haven't seen anything from the Chiefs that I wouldn't pick them. And yeah, the Bills, ooh, two straight losses now. Mm-mm, classic Belichick, lose a stinker and don't lose any ground in the division. But um, 
I, I like the Chiefs, and I had the Saints at the beginning of the year. I, I kind of want to lean Seattle now. I, I'm the opposite of you. I actually think Seattle has a great chance of winning the Super Bowl. So I go Seahawks, Chiefs at the moment. All right, Dave, you know what we haven't talked about yet? We haven't talked college football at all. Uh, Big oh, I thought you were going to say ice cream. Finally started. We also have not talked about ice cream, but that's a nice segue. Penn State, good ice cream. Penn State playing on Saturday. There we go. <laughs> Fair enough. Big Ten, Big Ten is back. Um, they obviously made the decision to not play, and then I think they kind of thought every league was going to follow suit, and then the SEC, ACC, Big 12 were like, mm, no, nah, we're going to play anyway. And the Big Ten was like, well... Okay, okay. So they ended up having a season. Here we are, eight-game season. Starts this weekend. Uh, Penn State and Ohio State, I think, throw Wisconsin in there, are the only teams that really have a chance to win this conference. And I think even throwing Penn State and Wisconsin in there is a little bit of a gift. I think this is Ohio State's year to lose in the Big Ten. Um, Penn State opens up against Indiana. Before we get to the rest of the conference, what, what are your thoughts on Penn State this year? Obviously, we don't really know much about them yet, but what are your thoughts going in? So I I think they're an interesting team who, you know, they have a lot of good guys kind of everywhere, a lot of NFL prospects, but I think the issue they consistently have is they just, they're never able to put all that talent together. You know, they have a lot of guys who are very talented and as soon as they hit the league, you see how talented they are, but the only year they were able to put it together is 2016 and I, I don't know, I just don't think, I don't think Sean Clifford is the guy at quarterback to win you a national championship. And when you have to go up against an Ohio State in week two, who is going to be, you know, just ready to maul every single team they play, they have a top 10 quarterback prospect. They have multiple cornerback prospects who are going to go in the top 10 or in the top in the first round. Excuse me. They have multiple guys on the front seven who are going to go in the first couple of rounds in the draft. I just I don't think the Penn State can compete with that at the same level, you know, when you have four and five star guys at every position, Penn State, their quarterback's a three star guy. It's just hard to compete with that. I think they're probably the second best team in the division. And this may be a little different if Micah Parsons was playing, but I just think it's hard to 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 beat Ohio State or even compete with them when you're already a, two steps behind them in the recruiting game. Yeah, and I mean you talk about all the talent they've had, all the NFL prospects it seems like Ohio State's had probably three times as many, and that's probably not that far off for me in the truth. And there's kind of this, ever since they won in 2016, there's kind of this we're on equal footing with Ohio State from a lot of Penn State people, and they're not Ohio State. I don't know if they ever will be. They are certainly closer than they were, you know, five, even ten years ago. Um, and 2016 was a nice win, but the... Ohio State just knows how to win. I will say if they're going to throw a stinker out, it is early in the season. They had a really bad loss to Virginia Tech a few years ago. They had a bad loss to Oklahoma. I mean, they had Baker, so that wasn't a terrible loss. But if they're going to lose a game, it's going to be early. So I actually think it benefits Penn State to be playing them a little bit earlier in the season than they usually do. But it's ultimately not going to be enough. I think Penn State, even when they do play the Buckeyes, feed so much off that whiteout environment that's not going to be there. And I'd... I'd be surprised if they win. I don't know if I'd be shocked, but I'd be surprised if they beat Ohio State. And that kind of feels like the Big Ten East championship game. They got a tough one to go to Michigan. Um, but, you know, they get Nebraska and they get Iowa from the other division. Don't really think they have any trouble with either of those. So I, I think you're looking at 6-2 and two or 7-1, and one, kind of depending on what they do against Michigan. I, mean, I don't see them beating Ohio State. I don't know if anybody can. 
I don't think yeah, anybody can in the Big Ten. I'll say it. I don't know if anyone can in the country. I just I just think Ohio State <sighs> is so good. It, it's it's going to be hard. Like the only teams who really have a shot, if you ask me right now, are Alabama and Clemson, and everyone else I, I don't think has any sort of a shot. Um, like you know they they're the only ones who can even compete. And Ohio State just Penn State. You kind of saw it this year. They missed out on a local homegrown offensive line prospect and that's been the story of Penn State they can't even get the guys who should be surefire Penn Staters you know family went to Penn State father played football and he's going a minute where's he going Wisconsin I think he's going to Wisconsin Wisconsin like come come on that that can't be the result this far into the Franklin era and you know maybe the best Penn State ever will be is beating Ohio State once every 10 years I think Penn State fans like to think they're better than that, but as of right now, the evidence says that's as good as they are. Yeah, they're kind of in two different stratospheres, um, which it's almost a tease because of how close they were in 2017 and 18, but then I think last year's game is just kind of a reminder of how far Penn State still has to go rather than you know relying on a handful of players that ended up being really good Penn Staters now you have to consistently be up there with Ohio State and no one has in the Big Ten for the last 20 years at least so I I think it's the Buckeyes in the Big Ten I'm glad you hit on Clemson I think they're far and away the best team in the ACC Notre Dame's number three I think they're frauds they hung 12 points on Louisville like I'm good not talking about them ever I think Clemson will smoke them when they play in the regular season I think they'll smoke whoever they play in the ACC championship that's my take on Clemson. I don't really think there's a lot to talk about. Trevor Lawrence is the best player in the country. I'd be shocked if he doesn't win the Heisman. I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say with Clemson. Same thing with Alabama. Like maybe Georgia tests them again in the SEC championship, but uh, right now I'd pick Alabama. And I don't think there's any reason for anyone to think otherwise. So I think you're looking at those three, almost like LSU, Clemson, Ohio State last year, and just sub out LSU for Alabama. That the whole year it was kind of like, all right, these are the teams, and we'll just. We'll do a little play-in, and we'll see who plays for the championship. It ended up being LSU. So I, I I think this is another one of those years that there's just that big of a gap between, in this case, the top three teams and everybody else. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I, the one thing I want to say about Alabama, which I think has kind of been slept on a little bit, Mac Jones was not a big regression from where they were. I mean, he was a four-star quarterback, and at most other schools, he would have started right away probably. And I think he's shown with that, with those receiver talents, you know, Jalen Waddle on the outside, you have um, Najee Harris in the backfield. They, they're just a talented football team up and down the roster. And it's going to be hard for any team, the SEC, to compete with them. Even, even watching Georgia yesterday, who has four and five star guys at every position, they looked outclassed in every sense of the word playing Alabama yesterday. I just don't know who can or two days ago i don't know who can actually compete with alabama and the sec and again even nationally it's very hard to beat that kind of talent consistently well that's the thing with alabama is you look at you look at lsu and they had 19 of their 22 starters left went to the nfl graduated whatever last year and they are bad this year alabama i think is starting seven freshmen on defense and they that was the weakness going in. They had a bad game against Ole Miss, but they held Georgia to zero points in the second half. So when they needed to play well, they did, and that's a scary football team. Alabama-Clemson part 28, whatever we're on now, would be a great game. I think Ohio State thrown in there. They got a really good chance, but 
the playoff is four teams, David. Those are the rules in uh, the college football playoff rule book. Uh, so if you had to pick a fourth, which you do, and I'm making you, who do you have uh, that is okay. going to go lose to whoever number one is? All right, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a crazy limb here. We're we're standing out over a canyon on the thinnest limb we could find. I'm gonna go with the first team from a non-power five school to make the playoffs. I'm feeling Zach Wilson and the BYU Cougars. I I think we have hit a point where quarterback play in college football matters almost more than anything else. And I think right now you could argue he's been the second best quarterback in college football this year. And, you know, we'll see once Justin Fields plays how that changes. But I think they're going to be undefeated. And I think all of the teams ahead of them are going to have multiple losses before the season is over. So would you rather have, you know, a bunch of, say, a two-loss Penn State team? Because I don't know if they'll have two losses or not. But let's use that example. Would you rather have a two-loss Penn State team or an undefeated Zach Wilson team who is going to drive ratings for college football fans? I'm going to go with the BYU Cougars as the fourth team. I'm glad you uh, asked what conference they're in before because they are independent. So you'd probably still be looking. But Ah, nice. Um. They've looked really good. I'm going to throw a team that has not played yet out there. How about the Oregon Ducks? They're only playing six games in the Pac-12. They have they obviously playing the North Division, which Washington's not as good as they used to be. Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, Stanford, all bad. They get UCLA in the crossover. I don't see them losing a game. And I think, like you mentioned, a lot of those teams are going to have two losses. And even a team like in the ACC that has one loss, I don't know if they hold up against the still Power Five. Obviously, I think most people will say the number five conference in the Power Five. But I think Oklahoma State's vulnerable in the Big 12. And and I think Oregon has a better chance of running the table. So I'm going with the Ducks. Get back in there. They jobbed themselves last year by playing Auburn. By the way, stop scheduling these great non-conference matchups. Play cupcake, cupcake, cupcake. I'm dying on that hill. Like That's the way to do it with this four-team playoff. All conference this year, that's perfect. I hate, I hate marquee non-conference matchups. Hey, we, we got a we college football needs a commissioner and they needed one yesterday to, you know, set these schedules and set rules for each conference to abide by. The problem is the SEC is never going to agree to this because they are just feasting off this format. But it's not the, it, it's not the SEC's fault. Like I'm they not have saying it's good their games fault. They don't have to do it. It's the Pac-12's fault for being like, we're, we have to go play the SEC and then losing. And then your best team has two losses because it's so hard to go undefeated in conference. Like Oregon makes the playoff last year if they don't go lose to Auburn. I don't know. That, that's, that's my take. That's my take. Because the SEC like wins those big games when they play them. It's every other conference that cannot beat them. Like Alabama beats up on Michigan, Wisconsin, USC, whoever they play. Yeah, but but the SEC is also playing one less conference game than every other team. I I just that was kind of my point there. Was that's fair. The SEC has taken advantage of the system by scheduling one less competitive game than some other teams. And again, I, it's not their fault. That's the way you get into the playoff. They're using the system to their advantage, and until the system is changed, they're going to keep doing it. I think I think you and I should be the college football commissioners. We had that great relegation plot a couple years ago that we could hash out sometime but um listen all think, i'm saying look, is mark emmert like you have my phone number let's go yeah i'm gonna have to bleep that out first of all but <laughs> the the fact that like 
I think we are competing right now with like Colin Cowherd and Joel Klatt. Like, I like our chances. I think we can win that. <laughs> I like Cowherd you, and Klatt. That's not fair. Oh, but you don't want a power vacuum at the top. You, you, no, no, would no, you rather yeah, have exactly. one guy running it or two guys running it's it like, who are going to kill each it's, other? It's, it's kind of like the. It's, it's kind of like the. Uh, like like they're, they're Wall Street and we're Main Street. Like like who do you want to be running the country? Like so they're on. the one percent. We're the ninety nine percent. Exactly. I love it. And David, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, probably the biggest story in the NBA since the since the championship. Obviously, the Lakers. When we talked about that last week, but Daryl Morey out in Houston uh, was there for a while. I think since two thousand seven. Something and like that. I can he, fact check. You know the Rockets were consistent they never got to championship but they were consistent and they kind of revitalized the game there's no way arguing around that but what like i guess how do you view daryl morey and what like where does he fit what's his what's his lasting impact on the game slash how does he kind of help out a team oh well okay a couple couple things there first of all how i think of daryl morey is he was one of the smartest minds in basketball during his time with the Houston Rockets. He consistently revolutionized the game, and the moment he got a star in James Harden, which he saw all the writing on the wall that he would be a star, gave him a big contract before he even needed to, they have been one of the best teams in basketball. I think I read the stat to you earlier. Since 2010, the since the 2010-11 season, the Houston Rockets are the fourth winningest basketball team in the NBA behind the San Antonio Spurs, the Golden State Warriors, and another, and the Oklahoma the Thunder. City Thunder. So the only teams who have won more games than, than Daryl Morey's Rockets are those teams. And to use the championship as a indicator of them not being a good team, I think is unfair. And again, I'll throw another, let, let's just use the numbers. As long as the NBA has existed, 10 teams have won more than one championship. Of those 10 teams, they make up 83%, just over 83% of the league's championships in history. Like, it's just very hard to win the NBA championship. There's no parity like everyone likes to tell you there should be. There's never been parity in the NBA. And the fact the Rockets have won two of those championships and been one of the most winning teams these last 10 years is a testament to Daryl Morey, that it was his vision, it was his idea to go so hard into analytics. It's the reason the league has shifted so much to a three-point bombs-away type approach. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for where the league is at. Yes, Steph Curry and Klay Thompson completely changed that because of their high-volume, high-percentage three-point shooting. But it was Daryl Morey's vision that brought us to that point. I think it's funny because you have... Six teams, seven. Six teams that have won the championship in the last ten years, which a lot of people are saying there's no parity in the NBA, but like that's as much parity as there ever has been. And yeah, for, for the Rockets to come out and be probably the best franchise that didn't win a championship in that window, maybe the Thunder, but I would probably lean Rockets from 2011 to 2020 as the best team that didn't win. It's a testament to, you know, obviously they play in the Western Conference that has been better since before 2010 even, and they've gotten to the Conference Finals twice. They ran into the Warriors both times, so you can't exactly fault them for losing, but 
they they stuck to their identity maybe as well as anybody in the NBA, and that that that's hard to fault with Daryl Moore. There's a chart somewhere that has the top twenty five. Uh, shot locations for each team in 2000 versus 2020. And in 2000, most teams have like 19 to 20 of them are in the paint and like, especially the mid range in 2020, there are, there's nothing mid range for any team. I think everybody except the Spurs had like a majority of their popular shots outside of the three point line. So that just kind of shows you what the Rockets did to change the game. And Again, so that people like the Warriors, like you mentioned, could could expand on that and kind of make it their own. Yeah, I mean, it it started with Daryl Morey. And, you know, he even at a point was relying on Yao Ming coming back from a foot injury to really, you know, solidify those 2007 Rockets. And he moved away from that and started to go full on analytics, you know, told you the mid-range jumper is worthless in terms of a long twos are worthless. Just take a couple steps back and shoot the three is basically his entire philosophy. And the entire NBA looks like his vision now. That is how every single team wants to play. And he, you know, helped start the Sloan Conference for analytics or whatever it's called, where NBA teams go go and give talks and you know it, it it's just this thing that every team if you're not building around your analytics department you're not building an NBA team correctly and that's that's again that's Daryl Morey that's his vision for what the NBA should be and I think the NBA is a better product because of it. I think the NBA is as exciting now as it's ever been. And it's as smart now as it's ever been because defenses had to adapt in a way. Like we kind of mentioned last week when we were talking about LeBron James, you know, you have to be able to not only guard the perimeter, but always have guys ready to switch and help and rotate. And again, that's because of Daryl Morey. And I think if a team were to bring him on, I, I think you kind of got to let him do his thing and you know, kind of, kind of see, see what happens. And I, I, the one move I think people will try and hold against him is Russell Westbrook there at the end. That wasn't a great trade. I'm not totally convinced that was a Daryl Morey move that, that reads to me like a Tillman Fertitta. Hey, like, let's go get Russell Westbrook kind of move. But you know, he went all in on it and it almost worked. I mean, that, that team was really good playing that small ball. They, there were people that picked them to beat the Lakers. I mean, it's not like they, were yeah, idiots afterthoughts uh, but like people believed in them before before everyone was like oh the lakers are the lakers kind of like people believed Correct. in the clippers before it was like oh Kawhi, then they're naturally like they're not gonna make the conference finals come on I, I, he's gotta have a job like tomorrow i don't know with, with the impact he's had on the game and so many teams out there that are just looking for like what can we do to to get a leg up uh, anything I, like Philly's been brought up, obviously, with, you know, I follow a lot of Philly people on Twitter, but is that a good fit to you? I I think it is, just because the guy at the top right now is Elton Brand, who is inexperienced. And if you can bring a guy in who also has that same analytical mindset and you're on the same page, I think the combination of him, Doc Rivers, and Elton Brand could be a really good combination and he would provide direction toward a team that has clearly started to ignore analytics these last couple of years. I mean, just look at the Al Horford signing and try and tell me that's not a team ignoring <laughs> analytics. Like, it, it's just, I think he would add a lot more structure than they currently have. Um, the one thing, though, with Daryl Morey, I mean, he stepped away from that job. It wasn't like he was fired. It wasn't like Tillman Fertitta asked him to leave. He just wanted to leave. And 
whether that's because of something Houston related or whether that is because he wants a break from basketball. I mean, when he stepped down, he said he's doing it to spend time with his two college age kids. And if that's why he's doing it, I don't see him taking another job before his kids graduate college, which could be three, four years, but maybe he'll get an itch and want to do it again. I just, I don't think it's going to be next season. I I think Daryl Morey is going to at least take a year away from the game. Certainly an interesting mind and something to watch out for over the next couple of years. Uh, before I let you go, David, World Series starts tomorrow night. Rays, Dodgers, who you got? I mean, <laughs> what, is this like the is this one of those like highest payroll in baseball versus lowest payroll in baseball series? There was a stat that uh, Mookie Betts and Kershaw made twenty six mil this year, and the Rays made twenty eight. So yeah. Okay, so it's it's one of those fun ones. Uh, I. I don't know. At some point, like you got to feel bad for the Dodgers. Like they keep getting there, and and they got to win one here eventually. So I, I guess I'll take the Dodgers. And you know, good year for LA. I guess bad year for everyone else, but good year for LA. Tampa won the uh, Stanley Cup, so this is kind of the this is kind of the championship of championships here. With that didn't make any sense, but th- th- this one gets to call themselves like the best American sports city of the year. So, that, so there's layers to this. There's layers, people. So I mean, the Tampa Bay Bucks have a chance to win the world si- to win the Super Bowl. So, so I guess I we're mean, gonna have to see. I guess it's gonna have to be Bucks Chargers then. Uh, I don't know about ugh. that. Rams Bucks in the NFC title game. That'll work. That'll work. We can get the we can get the Dolphins from the AFC. They're close. Yeah. Yuck. <laughs> see, I'll right, take Dodgers. Uh, You'll take the Dodgers. I like the Rays. I just think the Dodgers don't win in the World Series, and that doesn't change. Um, I do. I do like. I do like seeing my boy Mookie succeed, but it's it's not the Red Sox. So I, hey, how about how about I, the I Red Sox? Have you bought? Have you gone out and bought their uh, their their new players jersey? Uh, future assets? Have you have you bought that one yet? Cash, <laughs> Cash considerations. Yeah. Like what a great trade, trading away one of the three best players in baseball to. And he wasn't gonna sign like that. That's 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 a bad take. Like they should have thrown him all the money in the world, and they didn't for some reason. But uh, they trade away the perennial MVP, and they are stuck with. They still have Jackie Bradley, who's my favorite player. But you know, it's, oh it's, baby, it's, it's, it's rude to it's rude to put him in the same conversation. World Series MVP Jackie Bradley, ALCS MVP, common mistake. Oh, how common dare mistake. I? Steve Pierce was the World Series MVP. Come on. Gross. <laughs> All right. As always, we will end on a gross note. Uh, thanks for tuning in. To There's a lot going on. Hopefully, we can talk a little bit more Penn State next week. It is Ohio State week, and they will uh, have played against Indiana. Probably underwhelmed because they always do. But uh, David, uh, anything? Any last thoughts? Any last words of wisdom? Uh, no. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. To There's a lot going on, and we will talk to you next week.